Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Enterprise Linux Security Podcast. I'm here, as always, with Chow. How are you doing? I'm fine, Jay. It's always a pleasure to be here with you again. And today we have another interesting episode for you guys. We're going to take a look at the State of Enterprise Linux Security Management Report. Try saying that three times back. <laughs> I couldn't. I honestly couldn't. It's a mouthful. Um, yeah. it's, it's not just another of those reports. And it's important to point this out. Uh, everybody is putting out reports, is putting out year, uh, year analysis and all that. And it's actually important to look at these things and to look at these things and try to understand what's in them. And it's important because in the security news, I don't know, industry like we are, um, we usually just look at the highlights. We look at the new vulnerabilities, we look at new technologies, we look at the brand new shiny thing that's out there. And we often lose the big picture. And when we're thinking about companies that have this newfangled technology to detect the breaches and all that, we need to go back to, to basics and understand that for most companies, for most organizations out there, security is still not being done properly at the basic level, like say, patching mm -hmm. vulnerabilities on time. So yeah, this report gives you a, a view across industries. It has almost 600 respondents. It's um, across different fields of industry, finance, agriculture, um, commerce, uh, lots of different fields. It's pretty complete. It's pretty comprehensive. And it, we're going to be taking a look at some of the highlights to get you interested in it. And you'll be able to find this report on the TuxCare website. It should be linked right there as soon as you enter the TuxCare website. It mm -hmm. should be pretty easy to find, but we'll leave you with the link to it on the description below. So one of the things that I really like about this report is that when you, do, when you look for reports like this, it's often the case, and I'm sure this drives you know, sysadmins crazy when they're looking for data and they get maybe a few useful metrics and then this big buy our awesome, you know, so software that's going to totally take care of everything for, you know, a bunch of money. And, you know, this report has some really good data on it. And one of the things that like we were talking about right before we hit the record button is that it, this isn't very complicated. The things that I'm seeing, you know, are kind of like low-hanging fruit. We're going to mention patching systems, which we mention a lot. That's low-hanging fruit. So it's almost like a, the battle of the low-hanging fruit because <laughs> hackers are going to use the low-hanging fruit against you, and you, as the administrator, should absolutely you know, do whatever you can, and not, it's often not very complicated to just keep your systems up to date. Um, yeah. can go a long way. Yeah, um, it's the least amount of effort. If they don't need to bring every tool on their arsenal, to, to bear against you, they won't. They'll just look for the, the open door, they'll look for the known vulnerability that's unpatched, and that's what they're using. Yep. Um, and yeah, and the first one, and I know I've teased this before in previous episodes of the podcast because I was privy to the data before the, the publication. Um, and this jumped right at me when I saw the, the early results coming in from this. Um, I was part of the team that worked on creating the report and the questions for this and all that. So I got some early view of the of the results as they were coming in. And 56%, get this, more than half, more than half of the respondents say they take five weeks or more to patch known vulnerabilities on their systems. Okay? Take a second to let that sink in. 56% yeah. of organizations are taking more than five weeks to patch their systems for known vulnerabilities. 
this is massive. It's like you're giving four free weeks for the, the malicious actors to look for your systems and get to them before you actually start doing something to protect them. On a field that's focused on security and all that, I mean, this is like leaving your door open and just going away for a week and hoping that nobody comes in. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's totally not a surprise for me, but I think it's just because of the fact of, you know, I worked with MSPs, I was in management, and, you know, I worked with a company, I was on a large team, so we had a lot of clients. So if there was a vulnerability and it needed to be patched, I could ask as a manager, like, is anyone available tonight to, you know, if it's that big of a deal, to get this patched, I'd have two, at least two or three people volunteering. There was no problem at, at the company I worked for finding someone to patch systems. The problem usually ended up being that the client didn't want to have anything to do with patching because they felt like it was a disruption to their business. So for me, I'm not really all that surprised to see this on there, but I know this is probably surprising for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't hoping to get everybody to say that they were patching on time. I expected some people to say that they were going to be taking some time more than usual, but come on, five weeks or more. Just get back to the Log4j, the Log4j vulnerability, where everybody was scrambling and people were having meetings to find out who was available to patch at night and that same day and all that. And then we go back and we look at this data and Okay, that wasn't everybody. Not all companies were acting like that. Most of the companies apparently were just perfectly fine with leaving their systems vulnerable for some time. It doesn't really matter for to them. And for weeks, when you have tools like Shodan that can scan the, all the internet IPs, public IPs, looking for a specific vulnerability, and they can do that multiple times a day if they want to. Leaving your systems open like this, it's an invitation, basically. It's it's just short of saying, get in and take whatever you want. It's free stuff for you. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm not laughing you, because it's not funny, by the way. I laugh out of, like, frustration because yeah, it's they're, frustrating. They're horrible. It's, it really is. And what you said before about the, the, the disruption. Yeah, that's probably the main reason why patching is delayed. And the sysadmins are probably screaming at the top of their lungs that their systems are vulnerable and we need to patch them. And then management comes back and say, okay, but that's going to disrupt business activities. We can't stop uh, sales for the amount of time that you need to patch all the systems. We can't do that right now because we have this important deal getting through. Accounting needs to finish their work and someone else is right. very important and can't be interrupted. And it's the trade-off that you need to do. You need to consider carefully how much how much value does it take disrupting business activities for a few minutes, hours, or days to patch something versus your whole company being hacked and your data being leaked and all that and sold on the dark web just to scare people. But yeah, yeah. more than a month to, to patch known vulnerabilities, that's completely unacceptable. Because like you said, it's the low-hanging fruit. This is the easiest task that you can do. You don't need to invest a lot of money. You don't need to put lots of resources into this. All you need to do is patch, okay? Yep. <laughs> and it's, it's not more complicated than that. It's not complicated at all. And the company that I, it got so bad for the company I was working with, because we all know in, my, in the team I was on, and the this was like the rare thing where the entire company was on board with updates, like like literally all the way up to management. There's not one single person at the company that would put like any pressure on anyone to wait to update anything. It was just the 
people that we were hosting that were the problem. So um, literally we would tell a client, this is an urgent uh, vulnerability and we checked your, the server, you are vulnerable to this and you will get, you will have some problems if we don't deal with this. And then they would just never respond. It got to the point where we had to put in the contracts that when we notice a vulnerability, we will let you know. And if you don't respond and, you know, we gave them a certain number of hours or a certain number of, a day, number of days, we will, and we reserve the right to take your systems down immediately and patch them. With, and we will not wait longer than um, whatever the time was. And that's to the point where it actually got to, but most people can't do that because, you know, that's an, an, an MSP. We're hosting other businesses. So it's the reputation of the company. We got to keep everybody secure. But, you know, the average company, it just seems like there's this, I don't want to call it a war, but like butting of heads between IT and management. IT knows what needs to be done. Management really doesn't want a business disruption. So how how does a system administrator deal with that situation when they know they need to do the needful, but they're just not empowered to do it? Um and this is a special sysadmin tip that we're going a special sysadmin tip that we're going to leave you guys here with. Um, get that in written. Send an email to somebody else above you saying, "Okay, these systems have this vulnerability. We know about this vulnerability, and we need to patch it immediately." Yeah. Leave that in written. A few weeks later, when somebody gets hacked, when some system gets hacked into and somebody asks you, okay, why wasn't this patched? You can point back to that email. You can point back to that document that you curated and say, it's because you guys didn't allow me to deploy the patches on time when I pointed it out. And that is really important because you're doing your job properly. You detected the vulnerabilities. You warned whoever was supposed to be warned about. And you didn't get permission to do your job. And in this specific case, security should trump business continuity. Yes. It absolutely should. And you should leave that in written. Yep. I, I completely and, agree. I will, I'll go a step further and say that if you you if your business happens to use um, G Suite or what are they called? What, what, what is Google calling it this week? It's G Suite now, right? Because I know it's Google Apps and I, I can't keep up because I know the name will probably change again next week. But if you're using Gmail for business, whatever they call it at the point at this moment, um, one thing you can do is you can label messages, which is, you know, for those that don't know, I mean, normally you have email, you could put it in one folder, but with Gmail, you can have multiple tags. You can just find a special tag for all these really important things that you're letting people know. And tag those messages so you could get right back to those messages super quick because the average sysadmin could have like 10 or 20,000 emails in their um, archive. So if you put that a special tag on there or yeah. something, that way you could get right to it. Yep, I let you guys know that this was required. I told you at two o'clock um, two weeks ago on Friday and you, you know you have that right there at your disposal. Yeah. Yeah, because you're going to be the weak link on that chain if you don't have some evidence backing up your work. Um, another thing, and we went through the, the attacker mindset on one of the earliest episodes on the, the podcast. Mm -hmm. And if you have an attacker doing reconnaissance on your systems, one of the things that they're going to be looking for is your maintenance window schedule. Mm -hmm. If they detect that you're going to be take to take uh, a month between maintenance windows. And this is very easy to detect when you're doing reconnaissance, reconnaissance mm -hmm. um, because it's when your systems go down all at once or 
one after the other. And so for somebody looking at the systems in real time, they can detect this. If they find out that you have this, uh, this set schedule that you never move away from, it's going to let them know exactly how long they have to prepare when a new vulnerability comes out. They know your systems, they know what you're running on your systems, and now they know that there's a vulnerability that affects those systems. And they know that they have, say, three weeks until your next maintenance window. So they have all the time in the world to plan their attack and prepare to get in, get the data out, and clear yep. all the traces. And that's free information for them. It so, really is. Patching sooner rather than later when you have known vulnerabilities is the preferred option. And you really should work on getting ma uh, management on board with that idea because that's the basic stuff that you need to work on to, to cover security. It's nothing special. It's nothing very expensive. Management won't have to spend money to get this. Just They just have to let you do your job on time. When you right. detect the vulnerabilities, they just need to let you do the patching. Okay. And I'm going to tout my <laughs> tax care here. If uh, business uh, disruption is a problem for you and you want to patch your Linux systems on time, look at live patching. Look at stuff like kernel care, for example, that we have and that we provide. There are other alternatives, but yeah, kernel care is really good. It can let you deploy security patches immediately as soon as the patch is available, and you don't have to worry about maintenance windows at all. Okay, you have yep. the vulnerability, you have the vulnerable system, the patch is available, the system is patched. This can happen within minutes or within hours of the vulnerability being available versus waiting a month until your next maintenance window. And from the data on this report, we know that most people are waiting for that full month. And that's really tricky. It really is. Yeah, I would also say for those of you out there that are super lucky and you know, let's just say you work for this company that's kind of just starting out like a startup and, you know, business is going great and you're growing. If there's anything you could do to kind of get the um, culture of the business to completely understand the importance of this early on in the life of the company, that makes everything else so much easier when you all of a sudden have like hundreds or possibly thousands of employees. At that point, it's really hard to change company culture. So if the company's used to having like, a maintenance window, it's super hard to get them away from that. But if you're just starting out and I mean, you have like the opportunity to really kind of educate, inform and make sure everybody understands exactly the way that it should be rather than the way that, you know, your friend's company is doing it. Um, look at patching now, if you can, like the yeah. now is the best time to patch right now. Let's do it right now. And there's even the compliance side of this. Um, most compliance standards and organizations that deal in specific industries like, say, finance or healthcare, they have lots of, uh, of compliance that they need to meet to, to keep doing business, basically. And those standards, while some don't have a specific amount of time between disclosure and patching of a known vulnerability, some of them do, and some of them have four weeks. So if you're taking five or more, you're immediately out of compliance. Right. And that's an issue because it might mean that you can you have to stop doing business until you fix the situation. And that's very costly. And on the other hand, if you're patching just to meet the compliance requirements, say if you're patching every three weeks to meet that four-week uh, compliance mandate, that's three free weeks that you're giving malicious actors to get into your systems. Uh, that's not how patching should be done. You shouldn't be patching just to meet compliance and then leaving your systems vulnerable for such a long period of time. Yeah. Because the actual security requirement there, 
should be stricter than what the mandate is because you can't offer three weeks for free for malicious actors. They don't need your help getting into your systems. They will get into your systems if you leave yeah. something like this unpatched. Okay, so do try to change the mindset at the company. Um, I know that coming from IT, they might just see you as, okay, here they come again, nogging with something else that they, those guys need and it makes no business sense. But try to get the management to understand that having your company breach, your data exposed or sold online or whatever, it's going to be much more expensive than stopping business activities for a few minutes or hours just to get them properly patched. Okay. That yep. mindset should change. I completely agree. Another thing that you could do, and this is kind of cheeky and a little sarcastic, is you can just keep a look at the, I mean, you should be reading the news anyway. And if you see a news article that a company was breached and had a big problem, and it was because of a reason that they, they should have known better, just call a, just, just create a bookmark folder called Wall of Shame and just bookmark <laughs> news stories from all the other companies, not yours, that are doing it wrong. And if ever, you know, they, they don't seem to understand the importance, but okay, these are like 15 companies right here the last couple of months that, and this is how much of, you know, financial damages that they had. This is how long it took them to get everything back up and running. Um, so no, I'm not here to cause problems for people. This is a real, a real thing. And here's some examples of what can happen if we don't take this seriously. Um, depending on the person you're talking to, I think it, it could hold a lot of weight there. Oh, really? Yeah. It's that big of a problem? Yeah, it's actually that big of a problem. Um, reinforcing the point. Uh, remember when we talked about Log4j? Um, mm -hmm. Cloudflare released the data a few weeks back. We actually talked about this. Um, they released data. Cloudflare is one of the major players on the internet uh, connection space. Um, mm -hmm. And they had data around the, the Log4j disclosure. And they actually detected traffic that was trying to find um, servers that were vulnerable to Log4j a few days before it was publicly disclosed. Let's start with the mindset that the properly motivated attacker with the proper resources can have access to this information prior to the general public. So any yeah. amount of time that you take after disclosure, after knowing about the vulnerability and patching it, it's on top of all that that the attacker already has. Okay, so you need to shorten that amount of time as much as possible. If for all purposes and intents, you can, you should patch on the same day that the patch is available. You should mm -hmm. never wait for weeks for this. And yeah. from this report, from the data that's in this report, we see that this is not the case. This is the lowest hanging fruit on the security and apparatus on cybersecurity. And we see that not even this is being met. And then we see in the news that there's new, this new technology that's using AI to detect security breaches and security incidents and all that. So what? People are still not doing the the most basic thing that they could, which is patching on time. And yep. again, low-hanging fruit here. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. Patch your systems. Yeah. Another very interesting thing that's on the report, and boy, we spent almost 20 minutes and we only <laughs> covered yeah, one I of know, the points. We're, we're ranting <laughs> yeah, we're, we're ranting here. How do you feel about this? Yeah, if you're a long-time listener of the podcast, we know that we tend to rent. We'll keep doing that, don't worry. Um, next up that I found very interesting was that uh, ransomware attacks are really prevalent. 51% of respondents say that their organization had a ransomware event, at least one, in the past 12 months. Wow. Okay, so that's a bit over half of all the companies had one ransomware event, at least, in the past year. 
and that's a lot. That's a lot of your data that's getting encrypted. And probably some of those have paid the ransoms to get their data back. And yeah, ransomware is very tricky. It's very dangerous. It really hurts the company in the worst possible place, their data. Whether it's customer data, it's their own internal um, IP data, getting locked out of it, it's it really hurts. And it, it really... And we've already discussed how tough it is to recover from such an incident before. It's a huge amount of work to to get everything back in order again and trust your systems again. So yeah, um, this is one of the results of not patching on time. And that's the easiest access to your systems. Um, <laughs> yep. I know this will date the, the podcast, but just a few days ago, Microsoft came out on Patch Tuesday or something like that, and they came out with this uh, security patch for a new vulnerability on SMB that's warmable. And for those that don't know, a worm is like a virus, but it can self-replicate to other systems. It doesn't need no interaction to jump from one server to the next one. It will find a way. And SMB has traditionally been used that way. Remember Sasser or Nasser a few years back? It would jump oh, yeah. from machine to machine on its own, and it would spread on its own. And this vulnerability that was just patched, it has the same effect. It can be warmed, and systems could be attacked from one to the next. And it just goes to stress how important it is to keep your systems patched so that they are not exposed to this. And again, if you wait a month for it, <laughs> yeah, great. It's a month that that machine has been spreading the virus to other to other systems. Yeah, there's there's just no. It's not feasible to wait to patch. And I feel like within the next five years, uh, more and more businesses, more than ever before, are going to realize you cannot wait. And I think we'll see like you know maintenance windows either. Um, you know, be very soon away, like, oh, our maintenance window is like um, two days after, or one day after, it's right now. Um, yeah. Because it's it's just, we're going to reach a point, and I think for the most part, we already have business, an IT business is not sustainable if you don't update your systems fast enough, and it's just going to get worse. Yeah, and I don't know what your experience is with maintenance windows, but it's something archaic that we've been using for over 20 years now. It's how we've been dealing with vulnerabilities on IT for decades now and it just does not keep up with the the current trend of vulnerabilities coming up when you have new vulnerabilities coming up every single day dozens of them it's just not feasible to wait a month for, for between one maintenance windows we really should move away from maintenance windows and just have this continuous rollout of patches every now and then whether through live patching like i mentioned before or just mm -hmm. through I don't know, high availability or something like that, even if that's not the, the actual correct use of high availability, but I digress. Uh, but yeah, you should have some system in place that lets you patch your systems with the minimum amount of uh, disruption to your business activities while maintaining security. And maintaining security here is probably patching every day, every other day, no more than a week, please. And even then, you're yep. giving free time to the malicious actors. They don't need your help. They, they don't even need time really i mean because i mean they they have tools and they have scanners and things my opinion about maintenance windows is a little mixed um when it comes to security i don't think maintenance windows are appropriate in any way shape or form i like maintenance windows if it's a low priority thing that is not security related like a, a random example could be 
you know, I'd really like to get this new firmware version on the server because it exposes a new feature that I think I'd really like to take advantage of. And it's not a security reason at all. It's just something I would like to have, but isn't really urgent or critical. It's just a want, not a need. I'm okay with a maintenance window for that. But if it's a security thing, absolutely not. Uh, under no circumstances do I personally feel that maintenance windows are acceptable, uh, an acceptable way to handle a security issue. Yeah, much less now when... <laughs> Come on, we have space sponsor, state-sponsored attacks going on everywhere, basically. just The global climate is just propitious to this. It, it's just something that is going to keep increasing. Um, we need to take a different approach to this, and patching immediately is probably going to be the, the solution. We're going to have to come up with some type of mechanism that lets you patch immediately. Live patching is an option. It's a pretty good option, but like you said, I was talking about security patches before, not feature updates and all that. For feature updates, when you want to update to, to a different major version of something, for example, yeah, a maintenance window is probably fine to do that. It's something that's scheduled. It's something that you can prepare ahead of time and have Yep. OK, we're ro rolling over the new version of software so-and-so. So be aware that the service is not going to be available next month or something. And that's fine. But the the need for speed that you should have on, on security response there, it's not compatible with this type of approach to security anymore. And I right. know that most IT teams are used to this. This is how it's been done for years now, for decades now. It's just that we need to move the mindset away from that. It's just no longer feasible to continue to responding to security threats this way. Yeah, sometimes it depends on the app because I think all you know, seasoned sysadmins know that the the update process is never the same from one application to another. And there's quirks and, and different things you have to pay attention to. And usually you'll have a cheat sheet of all the things that you need to test. Um, so I think it, in my opinion, you know, not as your primary goal, but just keep in the back of your mind how you can make the update process less um, intrusive and less tedious. I did get to work with a company at one point that I feel was doing it right. And it was really, really cool. Their update process was during the workday, the same day, literally, right now. Um, and how they did this was um, we, on my team, we didn't have to deal with the testing, uh, which was cool because we had developers and, and you know, it was just a good arrangement. They took care of the testing. They knew the code worked with whatever was updated. So we had a load balancer and like five or six nodes and we would literally, during the day, after we were delivered the updated software, we would, um, you know, literally drain the connections to a server, delete it, and a new server from mm -hmm. because the image is what we would update first with the new software would be recreated with the updated version. Then we go to the next server, kill that one. That one gets replaced, and we just kind of just go through all six. It take it doesn't even take long, maybe thirty minutes, um, an hour at most, and then. I mean, users didn't even notice anything, really. It was just like seamless. It was awesome. Not every application can do that, but there's all kinds of DevOps styles and utilities out there. We're not going to make it part of this because I can talk for like an hour about this. But just put that in the back of your mind that easier ways are possible. Live patching is a great one. Um, rolling updates is another if you're using the cloud and things like that. Um, there's definitely ways that you could really simplify this if you just uh, do some research on it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, continuing with this trend of, um, and I know we've, we've talked about this a lot, 
the number of vulnerabilities just keeps growing. It will keep growing. It it will never shrink down. Don't wait for that. It's not going to happen in your in our lifetime. Um, one of the things that we also got out of the the report data was that um, people had trouble even prioritizing the the stuff that they needed to patch first. Um, out of the many vulnerabilities that came out, out of the many reports that people have. Um, 53% of respondents said that they were having trouble just identifying the vulnerabilities that they needed to patch first. And this brings us to a different problem. It doesn't really matter which ones you patch first. You need to patch all of them. Right. Um, it doesn't matter if you're going to patch just the highest risk vulnerabilities. You should patch all of them because if the high risk vulnerabilities are closed, they're going to get into one of the least <laughs> least right. risk vulnerability anyway. Um, it doesn't matter if you have a vulnerability on your system. Being critical, being medium, yeah, that's going to look nice on the report, but none of them should be present on your servers. All of them should be patched as soon as possible. Yeah. And people having problems prioritizing this. Sure, that's a real thing. That's a real concern. There are just so many. You just can't keep up with all of them. So rather than trying to keep up with all of them and learning all of the tiny details around each one, patch all of them as soon as possible. That's a good solution. And yeah. it will work 99% of the time. And the 1% of the time that it causes some problem, it's going to cause less problem than having your systems breached. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I also feel like in some ways I really hate how vulnerabilities disclose the criticality, which I know they have to. And it's it's really good to know like if this is remotely exploitable root access or something like that. But to a to someone who's trying to get into a system, I don't feel personally that they're really thinking that way. Yes, they are looking at the low-hanging fruit. And if you have low-hanging fruit, they will come after you. But you could have a situation where they, you know, have broken into your system already, but they don't have permission to do anything. That like they just have no permission. They're in the system, but they literally can't run a single thing. Mm -hmm. So they can do no harm at all. And then all it takes is that low criticality, that low vulnerability, that's not remotely exploitable, that opens the door for them for to have lateral movement. Yeah. In, in vulnerability chaining, because now that low vulnerability that's not remotely exploitable, they found a way into your system. And maybe your security is good enough to where they can't do anything, but one day that low vu uh, vulnerability is absolutely going to be part of a vulnerability chain and become a critical issue, even though on paper it's a low priority issue. Exactly. And this is tricky, especially for people concerned with compliance, and I'm getting into this again, because mm -hmm. For compliance reasons, you need to look at the critical and high impact vulnerabilities. But those are not the only ones. And those are, yeah. like you said, yeah, those might be the remotely accessible shells that people can get if you have your systems exposed. Yeah, but like you said, if they already found a way into your system and they're just waiting for some way to elevate their privileges inside of that system, mm -hmm. anything goes. <laughs> and one of that needs local presence for them to actually escalate. If they have that and that's not patched, that's what they're going to use. Again, don't make their life easy. They don't need your help. Nope. Don't make it easy on them. <laughs> okay. I completely, yep, I completely agree. It, it's just kind of interesting how the mindset is where I think as human nature, I think we do this a lot as a species. It's like, it might be important, but 
is it important to us or are we taking it as seriously as we think we need to or are we just taking solace in the fact that this particular vulnerability that was just reported is not remotely exploitable so then some people have the reaction oh whoo that was close okay i guess we're good because it's not remotely exploitable and then they're complacent and then okay sense of relief and they're good they go about their day um i i do feel like a lot of people out there kind of just fall into that they just have a false sense of um, comfort knowing that this isn't a critical vulnerability, but in real life, it's really not so much about that. Yeah, and this comes from the the trend that we have so many vulnerabilities right now, but we didn't have as many a year back, ten years back, and ten years that might w have worked fine because you wouldn't have a vulnerability chain pop up like in two or three days. You had one now that was critical, you patched against that one, then you had another one that you had to concern yourself in, say, two weeks or three weeks or something like that. And all the ones in between, they wouldn't affect your systems. Okay, so it would be fine if you could take a few weeks to, before patching. Right now, when they're coming one today, the next one tomorrow, or maybe this afternoon, you have a different one that chains on top of the previous, that's a different thing and that's a different mindset. But when people have been trained to work in, a, in this way for years now, it's kind of tricky to get them to change. I know I've said yes. this before. <laughs> IT is very easy to, is very quick to get new technologies, to adopt new technology, but it's really tricky to change methodologies. And yeah, it's the human element here. We need to change the way that we approach this at risk of falling prey to malicious actors every now and then. And again, there's always somebody waiting for that to happen. Yep, and and we have to under, also understand that uh, technology has a history of being insecure. So I think it was about 20 years ago, I'm guesstimating somewhere around there, where cable modems were, were kind of, at least in the United States, were becoming more and more popular. So people's connections were becoming really fast and they were always connected because before that, obviously you had to you had dial up. You're not even dial connected up. to the internet until you actually um, double click on that modem icon mm -hmm. thing on your desktop and then you're online. And then, you know, speaking of Samba, and this is what reminded me of this, pretty much everybody's C drive was browsable. <laughs> for free because you know windows xp i think it was what service pack 2 that had the firewall by default so before that yeah. like there was nothing stopping anybody from just casually browsing your c drive because everybody now is directly connected and i mean and and you know yeah that was 20 years ago but how much code in windows from back then is still in use today a lot <laughs> i mean we don't rewrite operating systems every other year we fought it's like Operating systems are this leaky boat that's sinking and we're just patching holes just to keep it afloat to get it to the other side of the um, ocean or something without it sinking. And that's like the best analogy I could think of when it comes to security, because in order to make something way more secure, we'd have to like purge all the operating systems, all the software out there right now, start from zero with a completely different de development you know, methodology. And that's not going to happen. We're not going to do yeah. that. So... <laughs> Just as an interesting aside, what you mentioned there, how much code is still running there. On Windows 11, if you go to Control Panel and Data Connections and you set up a new ODBC connection and select, I believe it's Access, the mm -hmm. browser dialog that comes up, it's from Windows 3.1. I have to see this. This is absolutely this true. This is absolutely <laughs> true. That code is still in that component and still comes up with that dialogue from Windows 3.1 or 3.11. It doesn't matter. It's 30 years old. That's, that's a thing. And it's in Windows 11. 
It's been on every single yeah. Windows version up to now. Yeah. I almost wonder if the task manager is still available in Windows because when I used to be a Windows user way back, um, I think XP was the last one I used as a daily driver. I could just go, I think I would click start run and then type task man and press enter. And the Windows 3.1 task manager would appear. I would be using <laughs> Windows 3.1. It wouldn't look like Windows 3.1 because obviously it's not going to have like the Windows 3.1 theme. They're not going to like include an old theme, but it's every bit Windows 3.1. And you could totally run the Windows 3.1 interface. It, it's yeah. hidden. They didn't yeah. get rid of the binary. It's there. You can run it. Um, it, yep. it might be there now. I haven't even checked. Yep. This one is still there. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> but yeah, I digress there. Mm -hmm. um, another interesting thing, and let's try not to... This is more to me than to you, but try not to waste too much time on every single question here. Uh, by the way, we're just looking at some of the highlights of the report. The report is much yep. more comprehensive. It has lots of interesting tidbits there. You should really take a look at it. Um, it's about the use of open source technology, and I find this pretty interesting. Two-thirds mm -hmm. of respondents, 62%, um, it's basically two-thirds, say that the use of open source technology allows the organization to get to be more secure in the extended lifecycle management program. What's what what's hidden here is that this extended lifecycle management here is that older systems can be patched because you have access to the source code. Okay, mm -hmm. this is something that uh, closed source uh, components and closed source systems cannot have. You cannot create patches for a system that you can't have access to the source code. Um, and I know this is not for everybody, but it's great that the perception is out there that if you have access to the source, then you can make it more secure. And this is really interesting to see this as an actual result from people and their actual experience. Yeah. And another interesting thing, and it's 60% also, is that enterprise open source, like Linux, is as secure or more secure than closed source software. This is something that uh, we've talked about before again. Um, which is this notion that um, just uh, being closed source or open source somehow affected the, the security or the reliability of a specific software package. And it's interesting to see that it doesn't. People do not have a bias against it or in favor for that matter. But still, uh, being closed or open source does not affect security of the software. And it's great to oh. see that people understand this. It's really interesting. I'm, I'm glad because that's... One of those things where it seems like some people feel like it's um, automatic security if it's open source. So the way I look at it, open source code can be audited. It doesn't mean that anybody bothered to audit it, but it does mean that people can do it. You can hire somebody to do it if you want to. You could fund a project to audit code if you want to. But being open in and of itself doesn't mean the code was audited. And it does mean that people can look at the source code and try to find vulnerabilities and report them but it doesn't mean they're going to notice all of them. It just means they can, it doesn't mean they, they can. will. Yeah, uh, but having that uh, that available, apparently it's yep. important to, to companies and to the enterprise, and it's really good to see that people are aware of that, and mm -hmm. they do state that as a fact. And that's yep. pretty, pretty interesting. I think it's great. I mean, technically, you could hire somebody to to create a patch for you. You know, if, yeah, if absolutely. Were, you know, you could do that if if you have a system and it's urgent and um, you need something custom to patch something. I mean, it's open source. You can absolutely hire somebody to do that for you. you. I mean, otherwise, it's 
you're going to, what does Microsoft charge nowadays? Was it like 40,000 per update update after end of life or some weird thing like that for a custom patch? Um, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. I don't know if it's 40,000, but I thought I heard something around there. It's a lot of money. Um, I know that, for example, the, the nuclear submarine stuff, I believe it's from the UK, that are still running disks with uh, XP. They need patches and Microsoft is getting a lot of money out of that contract just to keep creating those patches for those systems. Wow. Um, but yeah, you can have creating patches implies the a specific set of skills that not every company has. You need to know the software. You need to be able to create code that's of at least the same quality as the one that you're replacing. You need to understand the system, how it operates with other systems, whether it's the kernel or it's a software a specific software piece or something like that. It's not everybody that's going to be able to create a patch for it. Okay. Right. Just because the source is open doesn't mean that you have the right skill set to, to actually do that. It's massive to get into an open source project and look at thousands and thousands of code lines of code. And just getting to grasp with all of that, it's a major undertaking. But it is. Yeah. you can ask somebody to create the patches for you. Hey, we at Texier, we do that if you want to. We have right. been supporting systems, older systems, for years now, and we're going to continue doing that. Say, for example, CentOS 8 that went to end of life. We're creating patches for CentOS 8. And yep. people are deploying those patches, and everything is great. And we're able to do that because the source is open. Okay, we're, yep. We can create those patches. We have the skill set to do that. And that's one of the benefits of having access to that. Um, Live patching is amazing. And, and I still, to this day, I never thought, and I said this before, I never thought you know, in 2022, and I think I said this in 2021. So I think I said, I never thought in 2021, I want to say this every year, that we would still need to reboot entire systems for updates. And, yeah. you know, it is just like, I thought we'd be further ahead by that. And, and now we're getting there because of technologies like that. But it's, um, it's kind of interesting to me, but I really highly recommend live patching. I use it and there's, you know, tux care, there's alternatives. It's a real thing that you can do. It adds real value. Yeah. And it's, in my opinion, the least you can do. Um, well, actually, the least you could do is probably unattended upgrades to your distribution, but that doesn't um, save mm -hmm. you from a reboot. But um, yeah, live patching is great. At least do um, some some sort of unattended upgrades with your distro, but if nothing else, um, that might help. But yeah, live patch, it's, it's, it's just so great. <laughs> and that just follows into the, into the next point that I want to make on the report. Mm -hmm. um, 55% of respondents that had a security incident had that security incident while a patch was available for the problem that they experienced. That's more than half. So <laughs> like we said, it's the low-hanging fruit and we're missing that. So before you start to consider more advanced solutions, before we start to consider application firewalls and top-of-the-line firewalls and I don't know, <laughs> all the other tools that you have out there. There are lots of them. Before you start considering that, take the low-hanging fruit and patch, because this is not just something that some randos on the internet are warning you about. This is not just something, oh, those guys are just blabbing on about patching. Apparently, this is not This is still something that isn't being done properly. And right. this is something that's easily fixable. And it baffles the mind why it's not being done yet. But it's not, and it's not to a very large degree, to the, to a dangerous degree, actually, because when one system in a company gets hacked or gets taken over, it can then be used against other systems on other companies. So 
until everybody is secure, no one is secure. It's like the virus. Um, but yeah, it's patching is something that can really help. It's not just something that's annoying and that comes up every now and then. You should really pay close attention to this. And like we said at the beginning, getting management on board with the, on board with uh, with new approach to patching, it's the first step. It's a really important step. You need to, con to convince people, and that's not something that's very easy to do. But there are solutions. There are disruption-free solutions to proper patching and to immediate patching and to getting your system secure faster. And because we're running very late on time here, do take a look at the report. There are very mm -hmm. interesting tidbits. It's not just about patching. It's uh, It contains other information that you should be aware of. Um, and if nothing else, it gives you a view, a condensed view of the state of things across industries. It's not just the latest news about the latest vulnerability. That doesn't give you the full picture. Somebody coming out with Log4j and that being a massive problem does not tell you how people are actually dealing with Log4j. It does not show you the steps that companies are actually putting in place to prevent new things like Log4j from happening. And the report does give you some of that. It does tell you how most companies are approaching patching and they're approaching the vulnerability scanning on their systems and they're approaching reporting and they're approaching cybersecurity incidents and all that. And if nothing else, it can give you a good idea of things that you should not be doing. I know this is a, a tricky way to look at, the thing, at, at this, but if you can see all this, the ways that people have tried and failed, you won't have to fall in the same mistakes again. You won't have to be on those on those bad places to, to learn from those experiences. You already know that that's not the way to go and you can look for better ways on your organization. And that's mm -hmm. something that you can learn from the report. Absolutely. So we'll have a link to the report uh, wherever you're getting the podcast from. Just just look for the link and you can check it out for yourself. And it's uh, it's really comprehensive. I absolutely love it. it. It's just it has a lot of data. Some of it I, I kind of figured would be the case just based on my experience. And some of it is like, wow, I never would have thought that'd be the case. Um, there's all kinds of useful tidbits. And also, I would say, too, that there's probably a lot of tidbits in this report that you could take to your management team and, and make your case right? That that there's real problems out there. And yeah. this report shows that. So that could also help you educate because it's not like, you know, you should go to your, you know, management team, like, we need to patch right now. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, here's some information. I'm not trying to make anybody's day hard. I'm not trying to be yeah. a pain, but this is a real problem. Here's some data. Here's some information about what's going on right now. This is what I would like to do about it. And this is why it's important and have that information available. And that would really help educate people. So that way they see that you're not just trying to um, ruin someone's weekend. You There's a real problem and you really do have to do something about it. Yeah, and it's a way to get away from that, uh, that Facebook effect. When everybody posts on Facebook the best pictures of their day, so you imagine that their lives are wonderful and yours, is, yours just sucks. Um, when you see the actual data of how people are dealing with uh, with patching, for example, falling back into this, and you look at your own patching methodology, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe you're, you could be better, but taking two weeks to patch, it's still better than taking more than a month. So not everything is as bleak as it seems. Right. And you might get the, the wrong idea just from looking at company so-and-so that has this amazing best practice and all that, and they're amazing and their systems never go down and they're always up to date. Yeah, but the majority are not like that. 
The majority right. are just like your company and they have their own problems and they have their short resources and limited staff available. Then not everybody knows how to do everything and people have to look up information and all that. And that's perfectly fine. And that's something that happens everywhere. It's not just it's not just the ones that make the news. And the report does give you that view. It doesn't just show you the brightest spots everywhere. It shows you how it gives you all the wrinkles that come that come across with this. Yep. And that's something that can, I don't know, boost your spirits and just show your management, hey, see, this is how we rank against most companies and we're doing it better than most companies. And that's great. And we need to improve this and this to be even better. And that's really a better way to approach this when you go to management. Absolutely. Yep. It's all about how you communicate. Communication yeah. is like everything. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So check out the report. Again, we'll have it linked wherever you got this episode from. So definitely check that out. And uh, we will be looking, looking forward to the next episode. Yeah. Until the next one. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.